Yeah, welcome to the Noob Sparrow podcast. Good. What's the podcast about? Podcast is about um <laughs> spearfishing. Spearfishing with Uncle Turbo and Dad. Nice. Welcome to the Noob Sparrow podcast. That was my son Ben. Uh, today's episode is with Daniel Mann, the YouTube superstar spearfishing superstar he's got one of the best channels going and uh, he's a repeat guest i'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first show we did with him a couple of years ago now but um daniel's excellent um his channel's fantastic he's always sharing tips and gold and um been a big fan since he started his channel um we're going to discuss GoPros today, uh, all about what settings you need to program in to get the best footage. We have discussion about how to make films. We also get into the software and the nitty gritties about editing films and how to put them together, um, how he works his system. Um, so it's really interesting, particularly if you are if you have a keen interest in putting together films based on your spearfishing. Uh, if you don't, maybe you'll be inspired after listening to this because, uh, yeah, Daniel's a really interesting character. It's a, it's a good one. Um, this... This podcast is also a full video, and it's got both of us chatting away on, on YouTube, on the Noob Sparrow YouTube channel, so I'd encourage you to go there, and if you've got any questions uh, with regards to settings or you know editing setups or anything like that, please chuck them in the comments, and uh, you know hopefully we can get Daniel in there to answer everything, and, um, and that'd be great, because he's definitely an expert when it comes to this, and uh, I really appreciated his time today. So, yeah, awesome. Hey, um, if you're new to the Noob Sparrow podcast, basically this is the show where we interview spearfishing experts and authorities from around the world, and um, you can fill up on tips and actionable information, or maybe you just want to catch up on some stoke while you're um, commuting on your way to work. But I just want to welcome aboard all the new people to the community because... Um, a lot of the legends that have been listening to the show for a while have really been sharing it up with their friends and word of mouth is one of the one of the biggest ways to make our show grow. So I just wanted a big shout out to you guys and uh, also the 13 patrons we've got on patreon.com forward slash new Spiro. You guys are you know definitely powering the show. We've raised 420 US dollars for our first spearfishing trip. So Turbo and I are planning to head down to Melbourne later in the year and connect with um, some of our listeners down there and put on a live interview or two and hopefully get out, maybe even um, get out and go spearing. Well, hopefully go spearing with a couple of the listeners. That'd be awesome. And uh, thanks to the shout-outs from Eckhart and Sven and a few of the other boys down there for um, already offering us some accommodation and stuff like that. So really looking forward to that trip. And, and that's happening just because of uh, listener support on patreon.com forward slash Sparrow. So thanks. Hey, just before we hook into this interview with Daniel Mann, just wanted to read out a cool quote from Kimmy Werner. Now, uh, there's an article on thebarons.com. It's called 20 Minutes with National Spearfishing Champion and Environmental Advocate Kimmy Werner. As usual, she's powering away just being an awesome advocate for the sport. But she says, um, I'd say that spearfishing is most connected to conservation. It's the most selective practice in existence. There is no bycatch, bycatch whatsoever and no blindness to what you are targeting. You are immersed in that, in that beautiful environment. You have one breath, one drop and one shot to choose what you're going to take. It's hard work. <clears throat> there are so many other easy ways, easier ways of getting fish. But again... Convenience is not the point here. It's about connection and truly earning a meal, which in return teaches us to never waste a single morsel. That alone is sustainability in the making. And uh, really like the way she put together that comment. There's a lot of thought behind it. And um, definitely it's one of the biggest appeals of spearfishing and guys that practice that form of spearfishing. 
and 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 the ladies that practice it big ups and uh that's what we're all about hey let's hook into this interview with daniel man i really enjoyed this uh daniel's a champion i'm looking forward to doing more things with him in the future so here we go let's get into it now i don't know about you but I love new gear, and spearfishing.com.au have got a huge range, mad flat shipping rate, especially in Australia, and if you use the code NoobSparrow, you not only support us, but you get $20 off every purchase over $200. That's right, pump in the code NoobSparrow at checkout, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O, at spearfishing.com.au, and you will save 20 bucks on every purchase over $200. No brainer. Thanks, Adreno. Okay, well, Daniel, welcome back to the New Spirit Podcast. We're hooking into settings for GoPro today, get into a little bit of the editing weeds, and we're just battling over who's doing the front man because the video for this is going to go on your YouTube channel. It will, and a bit later. audio is going to get stripped out and put on the New Spirit Podcast. So, welcome along, man. Thank you for having me again. So you're a super gentleman as usual and helped me out with some um, settings on my GoPro after I got some really good advice from a guy in America. However, his sort of experiences are a lot of the like um, producing television and GoPros used as supporting footage. So there was a, a couple of points of differentiation. So, um, but shout out to Dan Walsh. But let's hook into some of your recommendations. Is that sure? Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. Okay, so a bit of background. Me and Turbo got these new GoPro Hero Sevens and the black model. So we've we've I've got out for two dives now and tried two different lots yep. of settings. The second lot was with your uh, recommendations, but the first the the first big recommendation you had was switching the region to PAL Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so PAL's used uh, basically everywhere apart from. Uh, the States and uh, I think Japan and maybe there's like one other country like in S- South America or something. That's about it. But um, yeah. Is this, just, like, is this like driving on the left versus driving on the right? Uh, well, they drive on the right in Europe as well as the States. So it doesn't quite cross, it doesn't quite cross over. But, um, and, and China too. And there's 1.4 billion there. So maybe we should all drive on the right. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's kind of a bit like a, a, a metric and imperial system. So I think originally uh, from a, a film sort of era, you would, uh, for lack of a, for, oh, well, for just sort of ease of calculation, let's just say everything was recorded at 24 frames per second. And in reality, that can sometimes be 29 point, uh, 23.976 frames per second, which gets really confusing when you've got lots of different footage Um but with a, a PAL system, it's really it's all based off a, a 25 frames per second time base. So all the stuff you'll see on TV or a DVD um, in a PAL region is delivered at 25 frames per second, whereas in a um, NTSC, NTSC, I always get NTSC and NTFS confused. One's a Windows file format, and one's a the other opposite to PAL. Um, yeah, and so I. I use all the, for work as well, I use all the all power settings. It's all 25 frames a second, and it makes it really easy for your time base to um, you know, do slow motion and your calculations for, say you want two times slow motion, you'd have 50 frames per second. You want four times slow motion, you'd do 100 frames per second. It just makes it a lot easier than 23.976 and then 47 point <laughs> something, 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 or 96 frames per second. So yeah, it's kind of like me- metric and imperial. 
metric system okay. is is the. It go. makes sense, like when you're trying to sync up music and audio files, and you've got yeah. these annoying sort of differing frame rates and stuff like that because it's not precise. I yeah. just got pulled the GoPro out because I yeah. thought maybe I could um, just show guys where to set the region because it's actually not in the main settings page where you set the. Yeah, it's, the it's power. not that obvious. It's not that obvious. Nah. No, it took me a while to get around around the GoPro Seven. Um, so, but uh, uh, by far the best one I've used so far is the GoPro Seven. So it's, out of all of them, it's in preferences. Yeah, I I couldn't tell you. Mine's sitting up on the so, yeah. shelf up there. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it here, and then you go into regional. Yeah, and then it's just uh, oh, video format pal. There you go. Yeah. So, so that's the, the first the op- thing I do, and that's super important because it just you get that. Um, oh, and it is NTSC. You're N- right. NTSC. Yeah. Jesus, so, you got. Good, good memory. Apparently. <laughs> um, um, okay, and so PAL will give us a standardized frame rate. And that's yeah, just- it's it, when you import it into your editing program, um, I've imported, say, a lot of uh, other people's GoPro footage and they dump it at the end of a trip and I've got some frame rates that are sort of 59 point something frames per second because their camera's in NT, NTSC. And then when you try to mix that with your stuff... Um, the editing program has to drop frames somewhere to, to make it uniform. So you sort of can get a bit of a, it's very subtle, but you get a bit of a jittery sort of look. So you'll sometime, cause if you've got, you know, if you've got 30 frames and you're sticking that into 25 frames and you export at 25 frames, you got to dump those five frames somewhere. So it, it may not necessarily throw those frames away um, in a sort of lineal fashion. Um, ah, so yeah, sometimes you get like just stuff that just looks a bit crap, looks a bit weird. It doesn't look very smooth and and sort of natural. Um, so yeah, that's a big thing. Um, okay. But if if you're editing in a 24 frames per second time base, do whatever do whatever you want wherever you want. But for me personally, and um, most of um, professional work that I do is all all pal. So all right. hang on, I'm just setting up. Sorry, I'm just setting up like a little mini stand for my camera so I can record some of this little GoPro action. I'm very professional here. <laughs> That's not right. Used to not used to film at all, to be honest. Uh, did you see my YouTube video, by the way, the accessories one? What I, did you think? Um, I, I did. Just, I started watching that uh, when I was on a plane back from Dublin. I had to go into airplane mode, so I didn't get through the whole thing. But I really liked your uh, your gray gray psych background. That was quite nice. Okay. I've just got this wall behind me. It seems to be a good uh, background. I yeah. Don't, I don't know why. It's it's unusual because normally people use a lighter colored wall or whatever. Oh, I don't know. Just change it up, yeah. Why not? You like having the um, uh, the depth of field with the something in the background like you've got right now. Yeah, like I've um, got got my kitchen and, and some bottles of gin, yeah. gin Campari. Been <laughs> uh, getting into the Negronis of, of late um, coming into summer. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it depends what you look. Yeah, I, I just we, we shot a, a film at work recently uh, that was all on a, a studio white psych. So you just see the person in a completely blown out white background. So it depends on sort of what you're looking for. Um, because my flat's pretty boring with white walls, um, I try and create a bit of depth in here um, just to yeah. give it something a bit interesting. And with a GoPro camera, can you get that blurry background look that you get out of a DSLR or mirrorless? Um, can you? I don't know what the the maximum aperture is on 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 a GoPro, but the problem is that the wider your lens, the less apparent the depth of field look is. So if you even if you're shooting, say a um, so for instance, what I'm shooting now is probably about 
I think it's like maybe like 35 mil, a full frame equivalent. Okay. Uh, so w- when you talk about focal lengths, you're talking about full frame equivalent. Um, so like old 35 mil film cameras. Um, so when someone says a 24 mil lens, it's a it's a the start of the wide angle style lenses. Yep. Um, for a GoPro, I think they're equivalent of, um, you know, could be down as far down as, you know, 12 or 14 mil, which is turbo wide. So as you sort of get wider like this, that, that plane of, of um, focus is sort of, it's not as apparent. So say if you shoot something on like a, a telephoto lens, like a, a 70 mil or a, a 200 mil lens, like you can compress mm. the crap out of the background. You wouldn't know what's in the back of this, um, but my camera would have to be ages away. So with a GoPro, it's probably not really, I've, I've never actually seen um, depth of field displayed with, with a GoPro. Uh, just because it's mm. too too wide, really, like a, like a a drone as well. They're quite wide. You never really get that depth of field, or you have to be really close. If you're like right up close to the um, yeah. to the camera, maybe. Um, but just because I'm, it's I'm so just, wide. What well, like one thing I like about your YouTube channel is the storytelling aspect, and you you you'll stop and talk in in a, in other locations apart from just where you're spearfishing, whether it's on the boat or it's on the shoreline or driving down the road or whatever you know all of these extra shots um are really good for storytelling which which funnily enough a lot of spiros are actually starting to learn you know that's not just yeah heaps kill, of guys out sh- there yeah it's not just the kill shot montages anymore there's you know yeah. like i watched a 15 minute video of yours the other day i really enjoyed it. it was about norway and it was just a shore dive underneath a bridge and you literally shot one fish in 15 minutes and oh, I, in I, denmark the other day yeah yeah Oh, sorry, Denmark. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't even pay attention to where you were. But um, <laughs> I may not have mentioned. May not have mentioned. Um, yeah. yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking Norway's way further away than a four-hour drive. But anyway, um, uh, but I, I just, I just love the aspect that you know, for, I was in, thoroughly entertained for fifteen minutes, and really, you shot one fish in it. And, and there was nothing I wrong with that. I worked for that fish, Isaac. I really did. Uh, <laughs> I saw you bug it up a couple on the way. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't quite on the ball. I don't know. Maybe I just. I know that day. I just wasn't really. I was kind of a bit hesitant. Nah. I, you know how sometimes you're just not feeling that cold blooded. Um, yeah. Sometimes, and you yeah. just don't want to kill stuff. Um, I was just a bit like, if I see a nice card, I'll shoot it. If I don't, whatever. But um, yeah, I think. Yeah, you, you weren't targeting the the pollock or, or what was what were the uh, other fish that was calling? Uh, uh, they were coal fish. Or I think the the um, Nordic name is say. Which is like, if you're reading it in English, it would be save. But it, yeah, it's a it's a coalfish. So that they get those things get massive. They get like 20 kilos. Um, they look a bit mm. different to the pollock because they have a, a white line down the middle of them, um, mm. a more pronounced white line, um, mm. just leaving them alone. But, but what I was getting at was like, you know, breaking up your film with these shots where you maybe tell a bit of a story or yeah. provide some dynamic elements for your videos. That really cool, and I'll, and I think you do it really effectively. How would you advise other guys to do it if they can't get this? cool depth of field look out of their GoPro. What's what's some other um, ideas for shots? Um, I don't necessarily think you have to have a very uh, cinematic look as such where, you know, you've got depth of field in your shots where uh, most of the time if, if like, I'm doing like a vlog as such uh, where I'm talking to camera, um, I, I just use my, um, my Panasonic mirrorless camera um, not because of the cinematic look. Well, it does produce a nice image, but it's also because I can put a decent microphone on it and get some good audio out of it as well. Um, I think yeah, uh, yeah. that's quite an overlooked thing. Um, good sound. Um, but I would say just, yeah. Um, this is a problem with the GoPro too. Like the, the native sound you're getting out of the GoPro is actually pretty good when you're in a tight room. Even when you're yeah. out, it's not yeah. so bad. They've improved a lot. Yeah. But... You know, yeah. I can't. I can't even plug in my um, lapel mic into it. And no, without an adapter, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. so if guys want to record external sound what 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 would be your recommendations to them um i probably wouldn't do it on a gopro to be honest because most of the time you're going to be sitting it inside your housing and and you're not going to really want to put a hole in your waterproof housing they are waterproof to 10 meters and i tried this out i thought this is great i'll have great sound because like you say the sound is great outside of you know in a, in a small room or a car or something but when you go diving with them i went scalloping and because uh, it, it's quite shallow where i where i'm in england and all the stuff that I listen back to, water sits inside the little um, grill of the speakers and completely muffles uh. it. So, so you have to get to the surface and shake the crap out of your head or shake the camera or blow the water off it so you can actually get some decent sound out of the out of the, the microphones on it, which kind of yeah. defeats the purpose of it, of just going, yeah, I can jump in. Um, so back, back to sort of um, what I was saying about the story, I don't, I don't use a big camera to... Well, for, for me personally, because professionally, I, I am a cinematographer and editor professionally, so I do like, you know, to have something aesthetically pleasing, you know, with that depth of field and kind of like a nice cinematic field, uh, feel to it. But you don't necessarily need that to tell a good story. Um, for instance, there's a YouTube channel from a guy, I think he's from Redland Bay, called Nick Fry, and he makes okay. every, every, everything on a on a GoPro and this guy's got half a million YouTube subscribers. Uh, his last couple of videos are being trending on, on the Australian YouTube page and it's, and it's all on a GoPro and it's not necessarily wow. big. Don't get me wrong. He's very creative with the way he places his GoPro and you know, he, he'll like walk past it and he'll, he'll, he'll drive a boat a kilometer away, then come back and get his GoPro to keep filming. So he does put a lot of effort in, but you don't necessarily need to have crazy expensive equipment to, to do that. Um, mm. I think you just have mm. to get a bit sort of think outside the box maybe about how you can show something in a way that other people don't see it um, yep. or, or that everyone thinks to see it. So if I say, cool, I'm going to, uh, I don't know, here's, uh, for instance, one way I showed, um, uh, what's what's a good example of this? Uh, driving over a bridge. That, that Like you say in Denmark, I, I drove over that bridge. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I got was the that a time-lapse time lapse shot you had on there? I, I used the hyperlapse feature on, on the GoPro yeah. 7, which is super cool, um, just because I thought, you know, I, I'm never going to be able to get a shot. You're not allowed to pull over on that bridge. Um, and I wanted to show guys, and you're not allowed to park under those pylons either because the police will come, and you can't really fly a drone around that area because of terrorism. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a super impressive structure, and there's no other way to get a shot of it. So I thought, well, I'm really impressed by this thing every time I drive over it for work. So I thought, you know, try and use some other features. So, yeah, I don't necessarily think you need very expensive equipment. I just think you might need to get a bit more creative about how you shoot something to captivate an audience. Um, and, yeah, I think that's kind of what I've tried to, to do on my videos is to... No, show the stuff that um, you, you and I take for granted when, when we go diving. Um, you know, you see yep. it all the time. I see it all the time. But my dad doesn't see that because he doesn't go diving like I do or my wife doesn't see that or, or my friends don't mm. see that or, you know, most of the people in the world don't see that. And so I think it's really easy to overlook the things that you find mundane and boring. Um, mm. like, like putting on a wetsuit, I did a video um, about scalloping and I took a mate who'd never really done any diving before, um, an English guy. And uh, I did a little bit at the start about him putting on an open cell wetsuit. And for you and I, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah cool. We're, we're going diving. We're getting in a wetsuit. For him, he's like, I am going to die and suffocate in this yeah. thing. Um, so, yeah, I think just showing stuff that uh, having an eye for things that you think are mundane, but other people may not necessarily see is a really good way to convey your story. Um, so thinking about it from the perspective of, of people that are going to watch it that are necessarily don't have any background in, in, in yeah. spearfishing or, in, and, um, yeah, cool. I like that idea. Um, well, you, you mentioned drones. You're, you're filming with a drone as well. What, what have you got? And, um, 
Is that a, is that a bit of a learning curve? Um, I've, yeah, I, I bought a drone about two years ago. I bought a Mavic Air, so it's the, a foldable portable drone. It's probably only about this big once it's folded up. Um, really cool. Uh, I contemplated getting like a, a bigger drone. A mate was going to send me his from Australia to use because he just wasn't using a big Phantom. And it's got a big massive backpack. And I thought, you know what, I'm just, if I go on holiday, I'm never going to take that with me because there's my carry-on allowance. Or if I go skiing, I'm not going to go up a, up the Alps with that thing. So I just throw this in my ba- uh, back uh, backpack. And I know there's better drones with better cameras and stuff, but for drones, for me, I like to use them quite sparingly to either use an establishing shot or show something that I can't show with a camera otherwise because um, you can get caught up in using drones because they look awesome. They do. Don't get me wrong. They're just, yeah. they're, it's, they're so, there's just such a great perspective. But when you yeah. sort of, um, when you uh, crutch on, you know, if that's your crutch to have sweet drone footage, um, it doesn't, it, you know, you, you film gets a bit boring. Like I, I probably would rarely oh, use more, more than, 15 seconds of a drone shot before cutting to a, a different angle just because it's cool but um yeah it can get a bit boring but at the same time it's really great for illustrating things i, I did a film in malta when i was there and there's this really cool cliffs and this staircase that was carved out into it there's no way i could show yeah, that yeah. properly properly without a camera uh, without without a drone so you know i used it mm. a bit there but um yeah using drones it's good, it's good fun um it's a bit uh, hectic flying on the water um there's a few a few tips if, you, if you're going to fly a drone on on a boat turn obstacle avoidance off um because when you try and bring it back to the boat you have to catch it you can't land it on a boat uh well not in australia anyway because it's just too there's too much rock you'll never land a drone onto a boat um i've done yeah. it, i've done it once in the mediterranean in a sheltered place with no wind on like a seven meter boat <laughs> you can you can drop it on uh but you, you most of 99 percent of the time you're catching it uh so you want the obstacle avoidance off because when you've got that alarm going beep 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 that i'm running out of battery and i'm going to return to mm. home that's the other thing you can't press return to home on a drone while you're in a boat because it'll return to where it took off from, which your boat is never going to be in the exact same spot. So it'll just land itself in the water if the battery's dead. Um, nice. So, yeah, I would say yeah, turn obstacle avoidance off, which is a bit, you know, risky, but you just got to sort of keep drones in a, in a line of sight like you do all, all the time when you're flying them. You should really try and keep them in a line of sight. Well, um, according to the law, but... You know, you've got these drones. Some of them have got like a six-kilometer radius. Uh, yeah, know, they're um, out of control. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My, mine doesn't have that much range. Um, but yeah, I got quite good at um, flying flying a drone off a boat. I had a, a documentary in Timor Leste uh, just before Christmas, actually, where I was chasing not chasing blue uh, whales, blue whales, and other cetaceans, and I was just flying off the back of an ex-tuna fishing boat, and they never wanted to stop. So every time, wow. I, every time I um. Yeah, I have to try and fly a drone, try and catch it um, off the back of the boat while it's doing about eight knots. So um, you get good at it really quick if you just practice. You, you talked about these establishing shots, and I, I, I kind of know what you mean, but um, obviously you're using that to sort of set the scene, at, you know, particularly at the beginning of a sequence. Um, one of the ways the guys seem to do it is with a big pan, which is, you know, like a slow turn, and then you get to see sort of yep. the whole scene unfold. Another way you're sort of doing it is sort of like you're pulling out to a further and a greater and greater sort of bird's eye yep. view Distance. position. Yeah. Are, are either of those shots hard to capture? 
pan's extremely easy. It's just one one move on your uh, on your stick to pan left or right. Excuse the sirens. Someone's getting murdered around here. <laughs> it does sound like London. But but are they? Uh, you're saying left to right, but is that like real nice smooth buttery footage? Have you got a gimbal in your unit? Uh, at, at most most drones you get will have a gimbal in them. Yeah. And uh, what I have done actually on my drone is you can turn the sensitivity down. Um, so of the sticks, so it's kind of like a. Uh, a, a Cartesian plane. If you look at the like the X and Y, and then you have a parabola of your um, sensitivity. So right at the start, when you initially touch it, it's not very sensitive. But when you go sort of you know full full stick as such, um, it will be the the sensitivity. Um, you know, obviously it knows when you want to go fast because you're pushing it right to the end. But if you just touch it a little bit, it'll go nice and smooth. So you can adjust those um, in in the sensitivity through the app. So, you know, if you've seen some people's footage where they, you know, they're flying along and then you see this sort of, like this real quick sort of jilt to the side and it doesn't look very sort of slow and cinematic, um, which is what you're going for. I rarely try and put those shots in my films just because I I pride myself on not not doing that. Uh, But it it looks a bit amateurish, I guess, when you sort of just see this, you know, the the gimbal going everywhere, the camera panning everywhere. So I'd say just like slow and steady shots. And it's just practice, to be honest. Um, And I think think the the other thing with drones is uh, because they are so used... Like everyone's got one, it, it seems. You know, every, every bum and his mum's got a drone these days. So I think combining these panning moves, uh, so, you know, you, you tilt the camera up and down, that's great to, you know, reveal something. But if you're um, elevating uh, the drone at the same time and then panning up, you get a, a more dynamic shot. So you're combining several of the two, two or three of these moves. So there's an orbit that you can do, which is kind of like a, a rotate on an arc where you have something as a... Uh, point of interest so imagine you're sort of like going around a, a lighthouse and you keep the lighthouse at the point of interest what's quite cool is if you're looking at the ground you're doing that orbit and then you tilt the camera up at the same time to reveal the lighthouse as you're ah, orbit, orbiting yeah, around yeah. it so when you, you can combine several of these moves which takes a lot of practice and I've, I've got so much footage of me ballsing up these shots i'm like damn it you fly back reset and, uh, to try and yeah, get something yeah. like that i think that sort of makes your uh drone footage stand out a little bit more if if that's what you want, if you want to heavily feature on it, I think you've got to make it a bit more dynamic than just here's the coast, here's the water, here's my boat, etc. You've got to sort of maybe do something with it. The other thing I really like to do, um, really inspired uh, by um, uh, Sam, uh, a YouTuber filmmaker guy called Sam Calder. He's from he's Canadian and he just flies his drones through just ridiculous things like th- through gaps. If you fly drones close to things, they look absolutely amazing so i've, I've got a few yeah, right. c- cool shots where i've you know flown th- through gaps in trees and it just looks ridiculous um so that sort of yeah, stuff right. is really going to get people's attention because um yeah as i said it just seems everyone's got a drone these days so um yeah, if, yeah. If you so stand you've got to do something different with it yeah yeah, yeah. and, and I, I did that I, I flew i flew my drone through a car um in denmark when i was there one time because the, the video oh, i yeah. shot there was knife fishing so it wasn't that exciting so i thought i'll spice it up a bit I had two <laughs> shots and just took the windows down on the rental car and then boom, flew the drone through it. I'm like, that was cool, but I, you know, jerked ah, it a little good bit old at the start. Cars. Yeah, so um, yeah, then I tried it again and, and crashed it and then decided that was enough. I <laughs> uh, clicked click, click a prop and, and down it went. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's the thing with drones. If you, you fly them over water, um, kiss it goodbye because touch wood, I've yeah. never lost one, but I've come very close a lot of times to losing it. We recorded an episode on drones. It was pretty much just because I was curious about them, so I just went down the rabbit hole a little bit. Yeah. And um, so there's an episode way back with um, 
and I talked to Carly and uh, and another guy who runs a school in America. So I learned a lot about it. And I I got an FPV, which is like full oh, manual controls. Yeah, they're awesome. You can do some and cool I stuff. To, I was trying to fly it in like 20, 25 knots. And uh, this thing's just like, you know, weighs nothing. Yeah. Crashed it into a tree several times. So Turbo did invent the hashtag Drongo with a drone based <laughs> pretty much on my footage. <laughs> Drongo is so, actually uh, a bird I found out uh, a couple of years ago mm, after my uh, – yeah. I, did, I didn't know what a Drongo was. It's a bird. Obviously not an, not an intelligent bird. No, probably not. Probably not. Mm. Probably um, somewhere near like the, the, the turkey hierarchy of intelligence. Or, or, or the, uh, the great Mauritian dodo. Is it Mar- <laughs> Mauritius or Seychelles at the dodos? Right? I think it was Mauritius. I can't remember, but they're gone anyway, aren't they're they? They're very gone. Yeah, they were tasty. All right, hey, let's dig back into GoPro. So, yeah, sorry, we digress. Um, <laughs> no, nah, that nah, was perfect. I love a bit of a awkward um, sort of, ver- you know, sort of trip off into the weeds and uh, drones as well worth sort of, Talking on. about, I think, and, and some of the storytelling aspects. So um, I'm just going to go back into settings here. Yep. And so first on our list is uh, resolution. So obviously, we, you know, you've recommended filming in 2.7K as opposed to everything else. Why, why, why is that? Uh the reason why I film in 2.7K is because the, for, for several reasons, uh, the, the data rate of the uh, footage goes up significantly on 2.7K versus 1080. Um, and so when I say 2.7K, uh, the K is just standing for 1,000 and it's talking about pixels. So it's uh, 2,700 pixels wide um, with a 16 by 9 aspect ratio, same as sort of like uh, full HD, which is your... 1080, which is 1920 by 1080. Um, so when you get into the Ks, they tend to go um, horizontally, not vertically, which is a bit strange. But um, yeah, 2.7K. Uh, yeah, so when you say 4K, it's it's not um, it's not. It, it say it's 4,000 pixels wide, uh, but when you say 1080, it's um, 1080 tall and 1920 wide. If you know what I mean. So yeah, it's, so it it's, gets a bit confusing. Yeah, right. Okay. So right. um, yeah, no, cool. I, I got that. That's the first time I actually have understood um, that <laughs> the, 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 the pixels and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, if you got yeah. so it, basically yeah. starts at um, uh, you know uh, HD, um, which is your your seven twenty p as they call it, which is twelve eighty by seven twenty, full HD, yep. ten nineteen twenty by ten eighty, and then two point seven is a bit of an odd sort of um, size, but. Uh, because it's got a lot more, it's got a, it's a, it's a bigger image. Uh, so there is more information there and all the videos that I deliver on online are in full HD. So, uh, 1920 by 1080. So when you've got, um, 2.7 K, you have the option of reframing as well. Mm. So say you, uh, say you've got a, you know, a three bit of paper is your 2.7 K and you, you're trying to squeeze it down into your a four piece of paper, which is, you know, your 1080. So you can you can move it around and not lose any quality if, if you sort of get what I mean. I, you, you can I reframe it. it. And, so, so, and you can crop out as well. You can... You can, you can, you can crop in, yeah. You, or, or you can squash that down and the way that a... I don't know the exact technical terms, but basically by like downsampling 2.7K to 1080, you get a crisper image than just having 
1080 because of the way it bends ah. pi pixels and that sort of stuff. So if so, people will say, oh, you know, you can film in 4K, but you don't notice it because you watch it on a HD, uh, full HD TV. Well, uh, you can 100% tell the difference between 4K that's been squashed down to 1080 versus something that was shot at 1080 and delivered at 1080. So um, that downsampling nice. does provide a lot of extra... Um, uh, I guess maybe not sharpness is the right word, but it, it, it's just a nicer looking image. It's just a, mm. yeah, it is a better looking Cri image. It's a crisper looking image. Um, I was going to, why aren't we filming in 4K then? Uh, for me, 4K, the, the, the advantages of 4K over the 2.7K aren't really that great for me because one, it takes up a lot more space on your memory card. It also chooses a lot more battery to film, to, to record with on your, on your GoPro. And, you know, the, as you can see, they've got a, they got a, a battery the size of a piece of chocolate. It's um, you know, you kind of want to yeah, preserve these things. Uh, flat out, I think I think I might be getting like seventy minutes out of a battery um, filming yeah. two point seven k, maybe a little bit more. No, it's not a lot, is it? And and of, nah. the, the worst part of the day is changing your battery because you're gonna have salty hands. You got to take some time out. You got to stick your GoPro in the sun, and I don't know everyone's been there where they change the battery and then suddenly oh, I've got a water droplet now. My housing's foggy, and you just want to avoid it if you yep. can. That's what I did, hundred percent. And 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 you're meant to be being Bodhi too, normally, like when you, oh, when yeah. you do it. And then you're so like, you're paying oh, attention to the divers. Yeah. You got rolling seas. It's, yeah. yeah, you're tipping out everyone's fresh drinking water on your hands and on the housing because you don't want to get salt in there. And it was like, oh, where's all the water? And you're like, oh, I had to change my battery. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. that's one of the reasons. The 4K does does look really tasty. It comes off the sevens, but yeah, it just it eats a lot of the eats a lot of the resources so your battery and your memory cards as well um, and there's nothing worse than getting to the end of the day happy hour last two hours of the day and um no battery on your gopro and you shoot something epic that sucks that really does suck um uh, okay so 2.7k has given us enough resolution and a nice tight picture for when we're editing these awesome yeah. kill montages what about <laughs> frame rates what about frame rates which is sort of in the same section like um what what do we got for options and frame rates. So you, um, like at 2.7K, you can shoot it apparently 100 um, frames per second. Is, yep. Have you tried that? Uh, I've never tried 100 frames per second uh, on the 2.7K because I don't have a stylistic need for the 100 frames a second. So the reason why you'd shoot 100 frames per second um, if you're delivering everything in 25 frames per second is to get four times slow motion. And okay. the, the problem with filming that is one, it takes up more memory because you're taking four times as many uh, frames per second. So it's, it's a much larger file and uh, it's heavier on your computer to process. And the other reason is your image quality suffers the higher the frame rate goes, um, unless you're talking like a really high end you know, 50,000 pound cinema camera, which is just a beast. Yeah, right. But we're talking GoPros, they're the size of a matchbox. So, yeah. <laughs> so say for, for instance, uh, if, you, if you shoot on your GoPro at 25 frames per second and just uh, these figures are made up, but let's say your data rate is you get 100 megabits per second um, from your 25 frames. So therefore each frame has four megabits allocated to each frame. If you shoot at yep. 50 frames a second, you halve that. If you shoot at 100 frames, you have a quarter of that. So you've got 25% of the quality. So I've actually noticed it. Uh, someone uh, gave me some footage that was shot in 2.7K, 100 frames a second, and it doesn't look that great compared to the stuff that I shot at 50 frames a second. Um, so you get okay. a lot, lot, you get a lot more noise. You get a lot more grain. It's not very, not very sharp. If you're out in super bright conditions, like on a boat, it might be okay. Um, because also when you 
shooting a higher frame rate, you let less light into the sensor. So if you're trying to shoot 100 frames a second at the start of the day, at the end of the day, your image is going to look like poo. Um, so okay. yeah, no, 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 good. No, it's all good points. I was just going to say, so you, 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 know, you like 50 as opposed to 25. That gives yes. you everything you need for shots. Can can you do super slow mos and all the rest of it? I mean, um, it, without using additional software, you can't really do more than um, two times slow motion with 50 frames. If I'm delivering in 25 frames, uh, the, the 50 I find good because uh, with 25 frames a second, um, you're going to get a really great looking image out of your camera. But it doesn't. It's not as flexible in post, where you can have some options to slow a shot down if you need it to fit a music track, or if you want to emphasize, um, you know, if something came out of the corner of your eye and you want to sort of just slow that down a touch. You can't do that with 25 frames a second because you, you've got no more no more frames. There's no, nothing else to show mm. apart from the 25 that that's that's there. And I found for my editing, 50s. A really good balance. Uh, I don't often use don't often use slow mo, but sometimes I will to show something really epic. Looks cool in slow yeah. motion, um, but it's not turbo slow mo. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say like until I changed my regional settings to PAL, I didn't even get the fifty frames per second rate option. It gave me thirty, sixty, and twenty five. I believe. I think so it give you it give, give you twenty four thirty, um, twenty four thirty, uh, one twenty. 60, 60 and then maybe 240 as well in 1080 as well yeah um, yeah, yeah so pal changed all that as well so that was yeah that was interesting yeah, yeah that, that's essentially what it does it changes the, the frame rates it's something to do with like the way they broadcast television and that sort of stuff um mm. i'm probably getting that completely wrong but there's if you want to look into the history of um pal versus uh ntsc there is a sort of there is a rhyme and reason behind it um mm. I, I avoid 30 frames a second i really don't like the aesthetic um of it uh, personally is your major issue spearfishing all about equalizing i got good news for you we've been pumping ted hardy's immersion freediving equalizing classes for a while now for free on the no spirit podcast because we love it that much it's effective now his roadmap to friends class is absolutely excellent it's a full-on video course that will help you to master the technique of friends because you're probably doing valsalva now Ted sweetened it up a little bit more. He's got a 15% discount code. Go to noobspero.com forward slash Ted. Get full access to the Roadmap to Frenzel Equalizing class. And if you don't learn how to Frenzel within 30 days, he'll give you a full money back refund. Now, everyone wants to get beyond that 15 to 40 foot mark, that 5 to 10 meter mark. And you don't want to be going upright to have to equalize. You need to learn the Frenzel Equalizing technique. And the best way to do that is spend a little bit of time doing Ted Hardy's course. Come to noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Get a 15% discount. Enjoy. Today's episode is brought to you by Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators like the Noob Spiro to get paid. Basically, you support us per episode at any level that you choose. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Today's episode powered by patron listeners just like you. We'll, we'll just follow along on sort of what, what I've got here on my GoPro screen. Yep. And the next one is field of view, yes. which uh, the options are linear or wide. Um, wide always seems to make everything seem further away and smaller. And um, yep. 
Is that kind of the, the main thing with it? Uh, so under, underwater, that's corrected, so you don't get that fisheye effect. So um, I think uh, for, for me, from what I understand of a GoPro, uh, if you shoot in the, the 1080 mode, I think you get narrow, medium, wide, and super wide. So it's a fixed lens, so that actual focus of a field of view isn't actually um, optically changing. It's digitally changing. So when you, I think the native like wide angle lens uh, that comes with the GoPro that's on it is the wide setting. So if you change that to linear, what it does is it will digitally take out the optical distortion. So when you digitally alter the image in camera, you're getting less of a quality of it. If you, if you get what I mean. Okay. So it's, uh, it's kind of like, um, yeah, with, with the field of view thing, um, there, there was one on the 1080, I think is like narrow. If you change it to narrow, it doesn't actually change anything optically on the lens. It just digitally crops it and says, cool, this is your view now and we'll blow it up. And if you put them side by oh. side, they, they don't look, um, it's chalk and cheese when you go like a narrow view versus a wide. I think the linear and the wide are quite, uh, aren't too bad. The linear view is not, not the worst of them, but like if you go to narrow or medium, they, they, they look like dirt to me. Um, it's was, only given me two options. It's uh, only given me linear and wide. I think now, if you change so. if you change your resolution to 1080, you might get um, you might get narrow as well. And I know okay. and I know on um, my GoPro 4, you get uh, all three options on 2.7K. So it might it, it could also be to do with the stabilization as well when you've got the hyper smooth on um, on the seven. Which is a good segue. Which is next. <laughs> good on the good list. segue. Um, yes. <laughs> so so you're definitely using the auto stabilization. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It's absolutely ridiculous um, compared to. I've, I've I've heard some guys say that underwater you you don't really need it. Um, you clearly think otherwise. If you're shooting on your head as a one-man band, as I often are, um, I yeah. would definitely use it on your head. I can notice it. I shot something the other day in Denmark. I had, because the audio on the 7 is better than the 4, I stuck the 4 on my head, and then I wanted to talk to camera with a selfie stick with my 7. So... Ah, nice. so, I did see how you did that. I thought that was pretty. Uh, uh, mate, you should see me. I'm, I'm like action man. I got GoPros tucked down my belt, torches <laughs> on here, belt reels, and you know, car keys everywhere, and burying my clothes in rocks. And yeah, it's 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 so, it's, so, it's quite the palaver. So every time I do a podcast, and some legends like, just keep it simple, man. You don't need bloody dive watches and all this other bullshit. You you're sitting there going. But I've got six GoPros oh, and I've um, got, eighteen torches, oh. three dive watches, and hey, it's, it, it takes it takes a fair bit of stuff to. I'm not trying to like blow my own trumpet, but like for a video that I, I make, I tend to. Some days I, it's just not worth doing it unless I'm going to do it properly for me. Uh, I, I, don't, oh, I, I don't want to make something half-assed. Yeah. So I've got I've got a, a mirrorless camera. I've got two GoPros. I'll have a drone, and then sometimes I might even have an underwater rig as well. Uh, and yep. then you've got somebody else's camera. So I, I just got a project that I'm editing now. I've got seven different cameras to to cut yep. from. Um, yeah, it's just <laughs> it, it gets a bit out of control. But yeah, I, I do use the the HyperSmooth. Uh, back to that uh, part that we're deviating from. Um, I notice it particularly when you're walking uh, or in a boat. Yeah, it's just chalk and cheese. There's no stabilization on the fork. Mm. I think the fives and sixes are okay, but the sevens was just um, revolutionary there's for me. There's a couple of comparison videos on, on YouTube, like like guys skating and just like walking shots, yeah. like what you're talking about. And they've got the smooth or well, the stability function on, on maybe it's even the GoPro 6 and versus the GoPro 7. The GoPro 7, this is like one of the huge advances I think that yeah. this camera made over the, over the yeah, previous it's, gens. It's, it's spot it, on, yeah. It's, re it's really good because that's, yeah. that's the big issue because you've got a, such a small camera, it's influenced heavily by movement. And 
back, back to your point about when people say you don't need it underwater, if you're using a tray or something with two handles where you're, you know, you're just filming with the camera, that may, you know, you probably don't need it to be honest. But if you're filming on your head or something like that, where you've got a, a lot of movement, which most guys are filming on their head these days, uh, I would say versus gun cams. I'm not a big fan of gun cam myself, unless it's attached to a big dog tooth. That's really sick when it takes off. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's a really valuable bit to have in there and it, and it crops in on the image. I think it was like 11%. Um, so if you shoot on wide, and it's crops in on 11% digitally for the hypersmooth stabilization. For me, I've really found it super cool. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah, nice. Um, low light. Uh, so that's oh, that's automatically off anyway, isn't it? It's yeah, a, it's not not available that feature. Um, I, I we're getting into sh go. Oh, sorry. sorry I, the, the low light. What that does is it uh, reduces the shutter speed, so you get. Um, a lot of motion blur. So when you get down on the bottom and you move your head side to side, you get that sort of drunken look that you see in the movie, say like, you know, Requiem from a Dream when someone's all tripped out on and, and that sort of stuff. So when you have a slow shutter speed, you're letting, you're exposing each frame uh, a longer period of time. So you get that hectic motion blur with the low, the low light. You get, let more light in, but you get more motion blur. And I've, I've ruined a few things by having that on. <laughs> it looks terrible. Yeah, well, it when we're using the current settings the way they are so far, it's NA anyway. Can't even bloody touch it. Um, the next thing I guess is is ProTune. Yes. Um, so tell us a bit about ProTune. Uh, ProTune is if you want to access any features that you'd have on a normal camera outside of the sort of box standard hit record and go and have fun for a holiday user for a GoPro. But if you want to edit something, I would highly recommend using the the GoPro. Uh, ProTune features, you get access to stuff like white balance, shutter speed, max and minimum ISO and that sort of stuff. Uh, so I, I use that all the time. Okay, cool. All right, well, that one was an easy one. What about um, shutter? Uh, is that in within ProTune, the shutter speed? No, it's just to the right of it. Okay. Uh, um, shutter speed, I set to auto. Um, yeah. You can try and... There's only, there's only two options there. So it's one slash 50 or auto. Yeah. So that like one fiftieth of a second um, is trying to follow the hundred and eighty degree rule of cinematic motion blur. Um, uh, so yeah, you could follow that, but if you're on a bright sunny day and you have your shutter set to that, your image will be blown out. From experience, I nearly ruined all the footage I took in Denmark for a competition one time. Um, if you go back and watch that video, um, all my whites, all my sky is is blown out and just completely white. Just lucky that it's um, dark and grey there, so that helps. So so the shutter and the low light are essentially the same function. It's just how 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 long the aperture's staying open. Is that right? Uh, how long is exposing each each frame basically? So um, okay. yeah. So the, the if you have your exposure triangle uh, for a digital camera is your ISO, your aperture, and your shutter speed. I believe the aperture is fixed on a GoPro, so you can't alter that, which is how wide your iris in your lens is going to let more or less light in. That also affects your depth of field as well. Um, and mm. the ISO, you can bump that up or down. That introduces digital noise um, in, in, mm. into the thing. The higher ISO is, the more light, it more sensitive the sensor gets, but it creates noise. And the shutter speed is the, is the third thing in that. Um, so, mm. yeah. Just... Important off-topic here. I just noticed that you're in London in a t-shirt, and I'm in Brisbane, and I've got like a hoodie on and a and a beanie. Yeah, it's um, tropic tropical here, mate. In in the summer, yeah, it's not too bad. Okay. It's still it's still it's still light outside. Actually, I've, I've just got the uh, the curtains shut. So, yeah. um, the next sort of 
thing I got into, and I took your recommendations on this because I think I started off with the EV comp at minus 0.5, and I changed it the last time to point to, to just zero. Yeah. Um, what what is the EV comp value? What is uh, it? It's basically an exposure value compensation. So a GoPro. With, with the settings you plug into it, say you put an auto shutter on, it will say it, it will have mathematically calculated values programmed into it that says this is what an exposed image should look like. So when I say a properly exposed image, I'd say none of the highlights blown out. So none of the highlights or your, your skies, you know, blown out to white and none of your blacks completely crushed where you can't see any information in the black. So a properly exposed image is, is somewhere in between that. And GoPro will say, yep, this is what an exposed image looks like. And that'll be EV zero. So it'll be zero um, on the exposure meter. If you drop that down, you want a slightly darker image. Um, so say you're shooting maybe in the snow, in the Alps or something like that, where you get a lot of reflections and it's gonna get confused with all the highlights and that sort of stuff, because the snow's super bright. You might wanna drop that down just so you're not accidentally uh, blowing out your highlights because that looks also really amateur as well when you when you have an image that's either blown out or it doesn't look so bad when the blacks are crushed but um yeah so when you're filming there in like denmark or one of these overcast type countries where you, maybe the water's a little bit dirty and you're under a bridge would you set that even higher would you go like 0.5 or one uh, i've never actually tried to be honest i, I sort of leave it at, at zero just because i know what yeah. it comes out at um you, you but, could. but you've got these you've got these mad skills in post where you 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 can brighten footage and bring uh, out the colors and all the rest of it. What about the, for the rest of us hillbillies? <laughs> um, is that saying that we could maybe use? Um, I've I've never experimented it experimented with it that much. But one thing I would say is it's easier to capture things in camera than try and fix it in post all the time. And the the, the footage you get off a of GoPro, it's not extremely high quality in, in the big scheme of things. Um, so you, there's only so far you can push it in post uh, before it breaks. Um, and when I say breaks, yeah. you know, it falls, <laughs> it falls apart. You, you look at something, you go, oh man, you know, you've got big blocks in your, in your blues and that sort of stuff underwater. You, you've tried to, you know, put too much contrast in or something. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, there's only so much you can do. So yeah, I, I haven't honestly experimented that much with my seven uh because i've just sort of stuck with what i know but i don't often change that because i think the gopro does a pretty good job of exposing um as is okay so we're leaving ev comp on zero uh white balance is next i i had a massive fail with this um in australia i set it to 5500k which um white balance is measured in kelvin which is a, a the the temperature yeah the, the mathematical temperature absolute zero negative what is it, minus 279.8 degrees or something is zero degrees Kelvin? Yeah. Absolute zero, where, atom, okay. where electrons stop moving, the world falls apart, can never be achieved, etc. It's a theoretical number of zero degrees Kelvin. Basically. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah, for those that don't. Uh, so so if, if you're shooting outside, normally you would set your white balance to around 5,500K, um, which is a good balance. Uh, when I did this on my GoPro 4, looks great underwater, looks great on the surface. And when I did this on my seven, for some reason underwater, everything just went turbo blue and I ruined a good day's diving. Actually, I was really pissed off about <laughs> it and I couldn't bring that back in post, it was ruined. So I found the native white balance on the sevens is, is the best. And the reason why you, I use a specific white balance versus just lock, uh, just going for full auto is if you've ever watched a video where someone's diving along the bottom, they'll be looking at the reef 
everything looks green and stuff and then they look up to the sky and then suddenly, oh, the water's like aqua blue or cobalt blue. It's, it's the camera seeing what it thinks white should, should look like underwater. So it looks really bad and it's really a pain in the butt to fix in post when you get shi- ah. shift, shifting white balance. I've got a really, I, I should, I'll, I'll send it to you. I've got a really great example in the Tweed River about two months ago um, where it's gone from just brown, green to blue in the space of about 10 seconds trying to find out what the white balance is. So I set it to native um, after a bit of experimentation and that seems to give a pretty good overall um, white balance on the bottom and on the surface. Okay, awesome. All right. So native for white balance. Um, next, we've got the ISO minimum and maximum values. I don't push the ISO higher than 400 on a GoPro and the minimum um, is at 100. I think the native ISO or the, the baseline ISO is 100. And for any camera, if you can get that as close to the baseline ISO, it's going to get the cleanest image possible. Um, so you don't introduce noise. Anything above 400 kind of looks, looks pretty turd. You can sort of denoise things in post but um takes a lot of processing power and it's easier not to <laughs> so 100 to 400 seems simple easy let's stick with that um sharpness which is something i've played around with a little bit i left it on low and then but i don't have the editing suite as yet to yeah. do all this post stuff and post that guys talk I, about i never really sharpen in post to be honest i think sharp, sharpness on an image can kind of make it look a bit too digital, which I don't really like. Um, so I leave sharpness, I, th- I think I do leave it on low as well, but I tend not to sharpen it in post. Um, I don't know, you know when you sometimes see like videos in the promo GoPro videos, they're really crisp, they're really saturated, they're really sharp and they look yeah. they look like a GoPro. I don't, that's not an aesthetic that I'm particularly fond of myself. Uh, some people love it. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's harder to match that with another camera. So the, most of the settings that I use on my GoPro is to try and match it as best I can with other cameras. Um, so it looks mm. sort of consistent-ish. Doesn't always happen. <laughs> for, like I say, for a Philistine like me, it's pretty hard. Like I, if I concentrate and I want to pay attention to the technical aspects of a film, then it's something I'll notice. Yeah. But generally, if the story's good enough and I'm caught up in the narrative, I'm not even looking at Exactly. The, comparison between cameras and i guess that's where you're what you're trying to do so you're having the desired effect on us hillbillies oh thank you i'm just just trying to make it so you're not distracted by something that's drastically changing in the shot um is kind of what i'm going for yeah i don't i i I upped my sharpness last time to medium and i think i prefer that over the low setting okay um but that was that was also based on your recommendation did i say me did Um, i say medium did i that's what i said in my email oh dear um maybe i do set it on medium no that's okay it's it's you probably gave me a dud serve, but now that we're doing it with others, you feel like a moral obligation to be to give them a better story. So, yeah. thanks for shafting me, Daniel. <laughs> Metaphorically. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, jeepers. Um, GoPro color, the color mode. What what do we got here? Um, obviously, GoPro uh, digitally enhancing it. If you what, what, was that, what the story is. Um, it's just the GoPro look, that saturated sort of look, and there's a flat profile as well. If you want to have a bit more flexibility in post, uh, you can set it to flat. Um, I've I've done a mix of flat and GoPro color because when you shoot flat, it's all well and good to go, yeah, I'm gonna shoot it flat and I'm gonna color grade it really nicely. But because I, like I said before, it's, it's not the highest quality video codec and video file that comes out of these things. So you can only push it so far. So if you're really trying to make it punchy and stuff like that, if you want like a nice saturated look, stick it on GoPro color. For me, if I'm 
specifically trying to do it and match it with other cameras for instance not even diving but for work purposes uh, for you know pov shot and that sort of stuff i will shoot it on flat to try and match other cameras um just depends on how much work you want to do in the edit suite really um pov yeah. pov shot you, you you're giving us some lingo here uh, but, um, obviously uh, uh, that's that's a third a third perspective uh, a, a point of view uh so um yeah, yeah so like like what you see, what the user sees. So like a POV shot. Um, yeah, if someone's, uh, I did a film, we did a film at work where a safety video where it was the POV from a person, you know, running up a ladder and jumping over barriers and then they died um, in the film. Um, you know, just trying to illustrate things from a different perspective. Um, yeah, that, that video game and yeah. obviously a lot, of, a lot of GoPro films are shot in this mode because we're all using a head, head strap yeah. Or, or, yeah. or a mask cam. Yes. Um, which I wanted to quickly ask you about after, but um, so we've got, we've got the color profile. What about raw audio uh, mics and PT settings? Are they are the last three settings on this? That seems like we we raw audio. What are we doing with that? Uh, raw audio, audio just, just, that's it just off. It just records a separate wave file, a dot wave file for you if you want to do something in post with it. Um, I was doing that for a bit, but I never ended up linking them. I didn't find a massive difference, so the audio is not amazing off it to start with. So I probably wouldn't. Um, yeah, I haven't messed around with the audio settings too much to be honest uh, on the sevens. Um, so okay, mm. and the if you go into the mics, there's a there's some sort of allowance for the wind by the looks of it. Have you tried playing around with that? I haven't, I haven't tried with the, the wind reduction because I've got it in the housing most of the time. So it's um, yeah. not a massive factor. If, if you want to stop wind noise, stick a little bit of um, like fluffy material um, on top of your microphone. That works the same thing. A bit of fur or something like that. A bit of fake, mm. fake moustache from a party shop, mate. That'll, that'll stop wind noise on your microphones as yeah, well. Yeah, like you were talking about the, the boom mic or what are they, what's another word uh, for it? The, the shock, shotgun mic and they, shotgun and they mic. put a dead cat on it is the industry term. The de yeah, that's the term. The dead cat. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. we, we, we ran with that um, for a little while with a roadie one yep. and um, it was still shit. Like the lapel mics outperformed it generally. Um, there, there is a massive But obviously if you're in wind... Yeah. yeah. Um, lapel mics are good because you can hide them under a T-shirt and get them out of the wind as well if you if you mic them up correctly. But it's not that practical in a wetsuit on a boat. So shotgun on yeah. the top of the, the top of the, the camera is normally what I do on that. And I have had problems with wind noise um, before, but not much you can do about Pro that. Proximity, pro proximity to mic seems like a huge one. Oh, um, huge, yeah. You're, you're, so you're using a directional mic uh, with that boom? Is that yeah, I've got a, like a pretty... Spenny um, Sen Sennheiser mic I just borrowed from work today. Um, oh, shit. And it's all out of shot too. You're so professional. You make me feel just inadequate, really. It's, it's, it's right there for people watching. So you can, you'll be able to hear this in the, in the me tapping on that in the, in the, in the, in the recording. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, uh, I guess, it depends on how much you want to want to spend on stuff. You could, you could spend 5,000 pounds on a, on a shotgun mic if you want to, but it's not necessary. It's Sound does make a huge difference to quality for so much stuff. Like there's that old um, cliche, industry cliche, you know, or you can have bad video, but you can never have bad audio. But you won't, pe I don't people, know. I think people it, don't watch it. Hey, Blair Witch Project is a prime example of that. The the video is shaky and crap, and audio is fine. Audio is really great, great sound design there, a lot of suspense and stuff like that. So that um, it works for that. Uh, and I, I, I've How's yeah. It? That was a bloody good film. That was ahead of its time. That was really clever, that film. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're 
That shows we're starting to show our age, I think. Dan. We are, yes, in the plus thirty club. Notice how I put myself in your group there because I'm like, <laughs> I'm 30, 38 shortly. Ooh. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> editing, yes. Let's hook into editing, man. Yeah. Um, so you introduced me to this profound idea that is really cool for a guy like me on some shitty old PCs. Well, yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not shitty. They, they get the job done, but. It's like when you're starting to to edit these huge files, man. It's it's a lot of work, and you need a modern system. Uh, you do, yeah. Especially with the GoPro um, footage is is not the most edit friendly. It's um, because it's so compressed to try and fit so much information into a small thing. So the the codec for it, so the uh, uh, way it unpacks in a um, in an editing suite is really crap. If you change that to a different codec. Um, so, so it's the, the codec that a, a GoPro records in is called um, H.264, or sometimes it's 265 on the newer GoPros. It's a really, really compressed container, but it makes a nice file, like a really good compromise between file size and, um, and quality, but it's hard to edit. So what you're talking about uh, that we talked about was uh, called proxying those files. So you can basically make a duplicate of that file um, in a really small, low resolution thing, edit everything with that because it doesn't require much processing power. If a, if a file's you know a tenth of the size, um, you you can edit it on a potato if you want, and it'll still work. And then yeah. basically, when you go to export, you just um, there's one click of a button in certain programs, and you can export the original files out. And yeah, done. So I I, I do have to edit sometimes like that. I love this idea. I feel like I needed it. To read what you wrote to me three times, though, so I'm just going to give it back to you in my <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So you you've got this compressed version with these high quality files. Like obviously we're filming in 2.7K. Yeah. So the proxy creates another mirrored version yeah. in a lower resolution, easier to use resolution. Yeah. You dump six or eight clips in, put your music in, your audio, whatever. You make all these edits, make it into a video, yep. and then when you render that file at the end, it, 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 go, it, it, it changes all, all the original files. Yeah, it's just a click of a button. Um, you, you'll see it on the, on your playback. So I had um, some stuff at work that we shot on an Aria mirror, which is a high-end cinema camera. I think we shot it at a ridiculous high bitrate 4K. Uh, could not comp- could not p- play it back at all in my editing suite. Then it proxied it overnight, let it all render out because it takes time to you know make that file into a smaller one. Um, so you just let that mm-hmm. run overnight, and then you come back and you click the the proxy button on, on your editing program. Yeah, you can play around, and edit it, and as soon as you click that button to toggle proxies off, everything stops again. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really handy <laughs> technique. This, yeah, is this unique to Adobe though? Uh, like to I, the... I think the technique. I don't know if it's is it called offline editing. I think. I may be getting that confused with something else, but I think there is a, a technique that was used a lot sort of early 2000s and that sort of stuff by people in a similar situation um, that didn't have access to a beefy machine and you would do that. So there is a way, um, you can't do it in, or I'm sure you can do it in Final Cut Pro. I'm sure you'd have to be able to do it in Avid Media Composer as well. Um, yeah, I think it's it's okay. just something that people don't really think of. It takes a little bit of, actually it doesn't take that much out of in Premiere Pro. I just pre- select all the files, right click, create proxy, Go have a beer and come back and it's done. Okay, so Final Cut Pro is this Mac one. Um, we You mentioned Avid. Um, we've talked about Premiere Pro. And the other one I think is Vegas that's worth considering maybe. Um, DaVinci Resolve as well? Pro- 
DaVinci Resolve. That, that, I haven't had a look um, at it. It's made by a company called Blackmagic. So they make a line of cinema cameras and it's a software that comes with their cameras. You can edit anything on it. Um, but if you get the free version, you can edit up, edit up to 1080. And it, it's, it used to be more of a, a color grading program, like an industry standard color grading program. But now that they've introduced all the editing features, you can, you can cut a whole feature on it if you wanted to. Um, and it's free okay. up to 1080. So, um, yeah. And is that good for, like, okay, pros and cons, hang on, let's just get it. Like the pricing models on all of these, are, like Premiere Pro seems great, but unless you want to get a pirate version, which seems harder and harder these days, by the way. Wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> nah, me either. Like I, I, I would definitely pay for it, um, just, just the way I roll. But, and, you know, if we're doing it, we get in trouble, we get caught, you know, like yep. it's just not worth no. it. Uh, but the the like Australian dollars for Premiere Pro is like three hundred and thirty dollars for one year. Yeah, I think I was like, I think I've been paying for the whole suite for the last five years, and it went originally it was six hundred dollars, and then I got to the UK about four years ago, and they wanted six hundred pounds, and I was like, um, that's twelve hundred dollars at the time. I was like. You guys are pricks because you're, it doesn't cost you any more to distribute in a different country. I know there's different VAT and GST in different countries, but that's just mugging people off. So I got, it's, it's annoying, but what can you do? So, yeah, it's, uh, at the moment, I think the last payment that they took out of my Australian account was about $850 for the whole suite for a year. So, yeah, it's punchy, but you always get the latest up-to-date version. You've got access to all the other programs, which inevitably you'll probably end up using if you get seriously into it. So well, That's what I was thinking, but... Then you need a machine to run it as well, and um, both of my machines are starting to look a bit tired. So I'm going to do a custom desktop setup. I'm sick of laptops too, though, so it's time. It's time. Yeah, I, I use a desktop at work, and it is much nicer to have a big 24-inch 4K screen than my little um, MacBook Pro that I've got here. But yeah, it does yeah. the job. Yeah, yeah, for sure it does. And when you get used to the the Mac setup, it's good for creatives, I think. But I just um, hate being pigeonholed into this monopoly and sure. not having access to the free world. I just dislike their business model, so I steer clear of Apple. Hey, that, but, that, that's, um, that's the beauty of Adobe as well. It's multi-platform. We have in our office, we have PC users and and Mac users, and I can I can hand off a project to them on the same hard drive. If you format your hard drives in the right format, um, you can go cross-platform. Not a problem. You can't do that with Final Cut Pro. Um, it's Mac only. Uh, the good thing about Final Cut, though, is you can buy it outright. You can just go, cool, buy it on the mm. App Store. You've got it. It's done. Um, which is... How much is it, roundabout? Maybe like three or 400 bucks, I think. I'm not... not yeah, sort of sim similar to Vegas, then. Yeah. I'm, I've never used Vegas, actually. Um, but I think Avid Media Composer is probably... Um, I think a lot, a lot more Hollywood films get cut on that. That's kind of like an industry sort of standard, and then premieres sort of coming in a bit more popular. Um, the reason, the reason I bring up Vegas is because um, Jose de Barca, he was um, doing all the the, the spe um, spearheads, spearheads yeah. films. Yeah, and like he, man, they make some, they made some cool videos. Yeah, definitely. I like his, um, I like his color grading and the way they, he puts it together. I thought he did a mad job. Yeah, and um, so I mean that sh that proves that the program is definitely. Yeah, you oh, can use all, it. All, so. all three of those main programs, Vegas, uh, Premiere Pro, Final Cut, um, all the color grading stuff's really quite similar with a few little, you know, this might have a little bit of a bit of a color matching between shot things or some little extra feature. But the only sort of program that is, you know, leaps and bounds ahead or different is DaVinci Resolve, which is a node-based system, um, which is a bit complicated to get your head around. Even I don't understand it fully that much. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the advantages are that much 
better for one or the other, except that, you know, multi-platform for um, Adobe. Premiere. Uh, yeah, for Premiere. Um, and, yeah, the proxies are really easy if that's something that's a massive concern to you. I'm sure you can do it on Final Cut and the others, but, um, yeah, that's all I'd say. Uh, someone gave me a premium copy of Movavi, and so I've been using that, which is like, um, you know, I grew up, hacking together films on like windows movie maker yeah movie maker, and, yeah. Uh, yeah and so like the movavi it's almost it feels quite similar to use i mean i've used editing software for audio and stuff before so yeah. it wasn't too many leaps it was quite easy like within i think if my computer wasn't so slow i could have probably put that video together in an hour or, yeah or an hour and an hour and a half yeah. but unfortunately you know the rendering part just takes a lot of time yeah you so. do get to that point where if you get decent enough at editing that your machine will you limit you often at the start you like spend half your time looking on youtube on how to do something first before you you work out how to do it so the machine speed's not of utmost importance when you're first starting out i think um, yeah cool cool all right um so we've given a couple of good sort of programs there for people to consider now you definitely use the adobe premiere suite um what are the specific apps you're using for your films uh, so Premiere Pro is doing you the bulk of your bulk of your, your cutting and ed editing, um, cutting together. If I've got to do any visual effects um, or some really fixing up some really bad mistakes uh, I've made while filming, I'll use uh, Adobe After Effects. So that's um, like a compositing program. Um, it's layer based. It's also got like a timeline, but it's, it's more like Photoshop. But think of it as Photoshop for video. Um, Okay. It's, it's kind of the thing yeah, I would describe it as. Um, you can do some ridiculous things in that. You know, you can, well, I've, uh, a small example of the last video I did in Denmark, I, I put some graffiti on the side of a bridge that wasn't there just because I wanted to do it and just wrote a stupid little message on there. Just, you know, could you imagine if this was actually real graffiti? Um, Spider-Man must have put it here or something. Um, might have got missed by a few people, but it was just, I don't know, just something fun to play around with. Um, I'm trying to use it a lot more just to get better at it. Um, I use that. Are you? Is it? Sorry, go. So you you seem like you're a bit of a curious person. You like having to play around with different stuff. Yeah. Do you think that's um that's an attribute that that that's really good in a filmmaker or a creative type? Like because you're always just playing around, like it's your sandbox kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I do go through stages where I just go, I want to try and do something creatively. I guess um in Australia where I, where I had a shed, I would I would build things physically. And moving moving yep. to the UK, I've been quite limited on space, and I don't have that ability to do that. So now I sort of outwork outlet. outwork that in a different way. Um, yeah, yep, yep. so that, that's one thing I do. I was just wondering if I send you a whole lot of footage of myself, can you obviously like make my shoulders just a bit broader, um, just a little bit trimmer in the middle? That, that sort of stuff. Um, that sort of stuff. Stills is very easy for video. It's it's a lot 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 harder work to do that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm not yeah. sort of anywhere near a level of VFX that I could that I could make you look like uh, Jason Momoa. Sorry. Damn it. Um, uh, I was hoping just to get sort of like a like a a competitive channel to Brody called Old Bloods. Old Bloods. Just, you know. Yeah, and I just sort of, you know, just swim around in a speedo, and you obviously digitally enhance, you know, everything. Hey, noobers, it's uh, Jeremy here from Spearing Magazine with an, uh, with an update for you guys. Shrek and Turbo have been doing such a great job with... Uh, 
telling guys about Spearing Magazine that we've actually sold out of most of our back issues and catalogs. But uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, we have an international subscription available just for you guys. Yeah, from Spearing Magazine. I'm Jeremy Campbell. Thank you, guys. Go to SpearingMagazine.com. Check out the uh, international subscription. Aw, yeah. Do you want to replicate some of the best dives that you've ever experienced and capture some of those elusive species that only show up at certain times during the year? You need to go to Amazon and get yourself a Spiro log created by none other than Shrek and Turbo. Along with help from three experts that we've had on the show, we had Pat Swanson from New Zealand, Grant Laidle from Scotland, and Kevin Daly from the UK. These guys got on board, helped me create and craft a spearfishing log that can help you to replicate those days that stay strong in your memory, but maybe they stay strong in your memory, but you've forgotten some of the variables that culminated in that successful day. So you can capture these details every day, every time you go diving with a hundred templates in the Spiro log available on Amazon now. Let's hook back into editing a little bit. Um, and then maybe yep, sorry. No, we, we digress. No, fine. I love the side <laughs> stuff. Um, I wanted to talk about, we're talking about ed- 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 editing drives. Editing drives. Yes, the, this idea this, of a scratch disc, or what did you call it? I just call it my edit drive, a drive I edit from. So, so you've um, got an okay. So, let's just talk a little bit about your PC setup. You've got a SSD that you're 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 running all your main operating system from, and your main programs, yeah, apps, apps, and all that sort of stuff. Yep, in, inside my okay. laptop. And then yep. you're putting on the files that you're using in the video onto that drive, or what's. Um, I don't put them on the SSD on the inside. It is much faster and easier to edit from, but um, like anything, it's got a certain amount of times it can be written onto before it starts to fail. So editing does write, read and write a lot onto a disc. Um, so I don't want to kill my laptop. Uh, so I edit on a external drive. Um, so I'll, I'll have a project, so um, which will have all the video files and stuff like that that I want to put together i'll put that in a folder and have that on an external drive the the problem with most external drives that you just go pick up a jb hi-fi for 100 bucks you know you buy a two terabyte drive it's all great it's going to be a 55 a 5400 rpm drive so it's not going to be solid state uh it's going to be 2.5 inch so it doesn't read and write as fast as a powered one uh, a, a mains powered one which is a 3.5 inch size drive um so you can put your stuff on there, but if you, have you ever stuck one of those into the side of your computer and then tried to view something and it sort of stutters a little bit? Um, it takes a little bit of time to to get your video working once it's warmed up. Yes, that's 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 better. That that'll read faster. It's a it's a bigger drive, uh, 3.5 inch internal drive, so it'll read faster than um, one of those little ones. Sorry. So just um, for the audio people, uh, I'm just told. Oh yeah, up. sorry. No, no, that's all good. Uh, it's the it's a Western Digital six terabyte um, unit that I talk about on my YouTube video with accessories. Yep. But you think this one's all right? You don't mind it? I, I don't know if you'd get the throughput from the USB three, uh, three to edit from it. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> you don't. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so that, that that's here lies the problem. Um, most of your interfaces through a computer, um, a USB three, uh, which isn't fast enough to edit from generally, unless you're editing really low res stuff. I haven't tried proxying through a low 
through a USB 3. Um, you might be able to edit through that. That's something for you to try. Mm. Um, so I have a, so on the, on the Macs, uh, on my MacBook Pro, there's an interface called Thunderbolt 2, which I think is four times as fast as USB 3. So I can edit through that. So I have a little one terabyte drive that I put my active projects on. Um, and then I edit through that because the throughput on the Thunderbolt um, 2 is definitely fast enough to do that. The newer version is Thunderbolt 3, which is now, I believe, owned by Intel. So it's open source. So you can get that on PCs as well. Okay. Um, I think that's twice as fast as Thunderbolt 2. So I use that at work most of the time. All my um, edit drives, we have like you know 10 edit drives for the different people. Um, some sort of like eight terabyte lacy drives and we'll um, edit off those. And for my backups of story on my projects, obviously, one terabyte doesn't go that far, as you know, mm, um, yeah. this day and age. Uh, I've got probably about 16 terabytes of mirrored footage. So I have um, 16 terabytes of footage. Then I have that in another 16 terabytes. I separate the hard drives because I'm paranoid about losing footage. Yep. Uh, and you can just use you can just use like a cheap sort of, you know, little drive you get from um, JB Hi-Fi for, you know, 50 bucks or whatever and keep your footage on that and just store it on that. So I just, I, I my, basically my procedure from the end of a dive mm. is I'll, I'll dump all my footage onto my edit drive um, into and, and categorize it how I want um, in my systematic folder structure that I, that I mentioned uh, over my email. Oh, you, can, can you go into it? I, I can. And then I will offsite that onto my A and B um, storage drives so they're mirrored yep. um, and then when I finish yep. that project all the um, project files and additional assets and that sort of stuff I will dump on those as well so I can go up and open that ah. in, in a year's time so the way I edit um, in a more professional way is we'll have a, a project let's just call it New Spirit Podcast uh, say for this video here I will dump all my rushes uh, which is just the industry term for your footage rushes I'll categorize that into different camera types so for me generally i'll have hero 4 hero 7 drone panasonic um, and then i will dump those into those folders there and then i also have a folder called assets which i keep um music tracks um graphics logos or any sort of additional stuff that's not footage i'll dump in there i'll have a folder called after effects as well where i keep all my after effects projects if i do any compositing into that video i also have a folder called sfx so my sound effects if i want to you know put a, a swish or a pop or a you know a Pro probably with me you want to have like um doo -doo -psh, like for my dad yeah jokes, all that man. all that sort of stuff um yeah, I, right. I, I stick in there right. um right. and what i still have i have one called project files so that's where i save my project files and keep all my auto saves going to that folder so it just keeps it very nice and and structured so i know where everything is at any one time Mm. Um, I can hand that to someone else. They know where everything else is. And uh, yeah, it keeps it really organized. And at the end of the day, I can go, yep, cool. I know my rushes are backed up everywhere else, which is the important stuff. I can generally get my assets again. You can download your, your music tracks again. Um, your rushes are the important stuff that you're never going to get back if you lose them. Um, so, you know, you, mm. you get footage of you having, like you say, you know, big bull shark right up in your face. You lose that footage, can't get that back. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I do get a bit well, I, I paranoid about losing footage. Mine's not losing footage. It's getting on the bottom and some cool shit happens and then I go, oh, I forgot to turn my GoPro on. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, there's that three-second delay. 
And yeah. that's a forever. Yeah. Uh, when, you, yeah. when something calls at me. Yeah. Underwater, it's a, it's a long time for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's what I do with editing. And then for, for Premiere Pro, you can drag those individual folders into your editing suite and they'll stay like that. So when I drag it in there, I'll have a folder in my project panel called Rushes oh, and, nice. it'll, and it'll have all listed by cameras. Um, oh. So, yeah. And uh, the, the, the only other thing that uh, when we talk about scratch disks is I, I believe it's like a term where your editing programs will make a preview file to preview the video back because it takes it's processor intensive just to keep playing videos back and forth when you know you're you're playing something back 50 times in a row to try and find the right spot to cut so it creates preview files and they can get quite big so it's uh, in premiere pro it's known as your media cache and that normally uh, you set your scratch disk to where you want your media or your media cache files to go. Actually, not your scratch disk. Sorry, in your settings you can set your media cache um, to where you want to go. And sometimes I've gone, why is my laptop full? Oh, I've well, got no storage, and I've got a hundred gig of media cache files. Um, when you're doing that, and it just helps it edit better. So with Premiere Pro, it's really easy to find them because you can just go to your settings and designate the folder, and you can just empty them out after you, you know. Once I've done six months worth of editing, I, I clear all that out, mm. um, so I've got more space. Um, I, I run them on my um, the cache files on my SSD inside my computer because I want the best playback. So it just creates files to to make things playback a bit smoother, um, mm. if, if you know what I mean. Sort of like unpacks it a little bit. I get what you mean. So is that your RAM that's that's accessing? Uh, I don't want to get too I'm, too. I'm, tech, I'm not tech. too. I'm not too sure on what it does. But you will build. Yeah, you will build files. Okay. Um, what I found with Final Cut Pro is it made um, Apple ProRes files, which is a different codec, which is beautiful to edit. If you ever have files that come off a camera that's ProRes, it's you can edit 8K on your phone. It's just beautiful. It's delicious. But the files are massive because it's not as compressed. So the thing that slows your computer down is how compressed something is because it's hard to. Unpack a box. Unpacking the code. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. um, yeah. It's, a, it's something to get your head around too is, is just, um, you know, how computers compress files or yeah. all technology does and how they access them and unpack them. It's Yeah. It's a, there's a little bit there to get, get your head around like with the protocols they use and the yeah. timing and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. That's cool. So you've got this, you've got all these files now. You're sitting in your editing suite. Yeah. Um, you got your cache all nice, nice and set up. Yep. Um, so let's say you've got. Okay. So now you've got a video in front of you. You've got twenty minutes of raw footage that you think could be good. You know, like I've heard, thinking like a director and not ever having longer than ten second shots as a rule. I believe that that was that was in the Spearheads podcast. I think never more than yeah, ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. I listened to that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, like I think you know, having these rules of thumb can be a good idea because then when you break the rule intentionally, you're allowed to do that. Yeah, but it's there's these, it's it's just a smart way to think about stuff. It is, um, yeah, to keep audience engagement. Um, I, I would tend to agree somewhat, not so hard and fast. Like some things are worth sort of, like sometimes if there's a long shot of something that's actually happening, that's great. So. Mm. Yeah, you going down, uh, for instance, in a video I did, uh, my halibut video, uh, there's a shot of me explaining what just happened, me frothing, you know, got foam coming out the mouth, don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, I've got 30 seconds of me explaining what's going on. That's relative to what you're doing. You don't need to cut that because um, you're trying to illustrate something or, or, or storytelling. Um, 
or something cool's happening on the bottom. If I, if I do some, a, a more of a demonstrational type video where I'm going, cool, I'm, I'm breaking down a dive. Someone's on the bottom. This is what they're doing on the bottom. They're doing this for this reason. There's this over here. There's this. I want to keep that in one continuous take to demonstrate a dive if you're trying to teach something. Yep. Um, but for a general sort of story type telling, you know, I don't, I don't need 30 seconds of a GoPro off the front of the bow of your boat. I get it after a couple of seconds. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you, 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 were, um, you had a, 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 like a glazed look over your eyes there. That was an emotional moment for you. I, you were, you were channeling uh, something. Uh, yeah. Like I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be harsh or high and uh, mighty. And, and I know it probably uh, for some people are probably thinking this guy's a, you know, a, a bit of a dickhead uh, in the way that he thinks, but I'm trying to come from a place of, improvement of you know uh, a, a way to get your point and your story across in a more eloquent way than in a more concise way which i'm not particularly good at um sort of getting things in it because vocally I'm, I'm horrible at trying to can as you know from this podcast i'm doing it right now as i think this is really bad i tend to go on tangents all the time uh and if you want to be concise it's quite I think difficult. people and I, I think people respond to it to an extent too because um, sometimes it answers some of the underlying questions and peripheral stuff that they actually do want to know. So it's it's all good. Um, and no, no, the storytelling aspect is super important, and there's a real craft to filmmaking. And most of us don't go to film school. Yeah. You know, I remember Snook Leonard telling, talking to us back in the day. He was working with another dude who went through film, film school, but he was 100% yeah. garage. And um, but learning some of the rules that filmmakers use, like this 10 second shot thing, um, like this establishing shot thing, like these, you know, and, and combining the, the footage and new and new you know like the way you transition through shots there's there's hundreds of these rules that you can learn about and and then when you understand them then you can break them but um you've got to you've got to think about it from an audience perspective which yeah, is hard that, that that is that is hard i've i've cut shots that i think are really really cool for for me but for the story they they're, they're not they're not helpful in any way i go you know i'm just gonna have to been that um I, I didn't go to film school at all i have no formal training i'm the most disqualified person in my workplace uh, everyone else has got um bachelors in uh, of creative arts etc and I'm, I'm the only person that's sort of um gone to the university of youtube <laughs> i guess um as, as i like to say uh, i yeah just learned everything online uh, there is certain things uh, those sort of hard and fast filmmaking rules you know like a 180 degree rule on an interview or a two-person setup you know they're not that applicable to a spearfishing mm. film because there's not a lot of um dialogue mm. scenes as, as such if you, yeah, if you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> uh, there are there are some things that, that make things better than others uh, um but the also the other big underlying factor of of the whole spearfishing film is they're very yeah. rarely scripted yeah uh, you, you can have an intention to go out and go, cool, I want to go shoot this or I want to yep. go do this. Great. How often does that happen? <laughs> Never. Yeah, not, yeah. not too often. Well, um, I remember yeah. Darren Shields was the same. He was shooting a segment for a fishing show in New Zealand and he, he was saying the same thing. He was like, you know, you go out and you think you're going to do a video about this, but then this happens and then that's what the video is about. You know, yeah. and I mean that's part of the the dynamic nature of the sport that we love too—the unpredictability yeah. of it all. Um, For sure. And so, 
you know, our podcasts are seldom scripted. You know, Turbo and I yeah. might have a list of bullet points when we do like a 101 yeah. um, and we'll work our way through it. But we try and just have a conversation. With it. I think that's a bit more engaging too, to be honest. These, Definitely. You know, we, not, all of us hate watching commercials and infomercials. You know, they're these heavily <laughs> scripted things where, you know, they, <laughs> they pull out and they micromanage all of your connecting words. You know, the clumsy stuff's often the funniest stuff, you know. Yeah. And, um, I, I think I, yeah. Sometimes it, it takes three or four takes to nail it, though. Um, if you want to, you know, put things out of the quality that you're doing, um, uh, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I do have some some big outtakes, particularly when I do like a sit down environment when I'm trying to either recount a story or talk about something where I'm trying to go, hey, this is this is how to shoot a job fish or something where I'm trying to do more of an educational, give some value back. Those things mm. for me, I, I will write those down and go, these are the points I want to make. And I will sort of glance over to my notepad, do my piece to camera and try to do it in one concise, eloquent take. And I'll do that. Sometimes I get stuck on, on some points that I'm trying to make because you realize how silly they sound. Um, mm. And until you don't realize how silly they sound until you actually say them out loud. Um, and then you sort of rework <laughs> your story. Uh, so for those style things where I'm doing a piece to camera, um, I tend to maybe think about them a lot more. But when I'm doing just an impromptu sort of thing where I went to Denmark, I go, cool, I'm, I'm going to go here, this bridge. I've going to try and do this. And you go do it. You don't know what's going to happen, etc. And I think that element of unknown is is really what draws a lot of people to certain films. For instance, Brody Moss from YBS. He goes... Yep. Let's go out. I'm going to take my jet ski out and strand myself out here with a uh, with no food or anything for the for the next night and just just see how we go. You don't you don't know what's going to happen. Um, he doesn't give it away in his title or his thumbnails, and I think that's a part of his success is doing things that people don't know the the final result to. Whereas I've been guilty of it, where I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll do a video and I go scallop catch and cook. Obviously, he's going to get scallops. There's not a yeah. lot of mystery in what's going on. You know what I mean? So I think that can, it, yeah, it's, it's a hard, a hard style. It's a personal style thing. It is a personal style thing. And it's a hard yeah. balance to strike because do you, you want to attract someone to your film that you want them to watch? Because like you say, there's such a, a saturated market of people putting out content all the time in 2019, not just spearfishing, just fishing, every, everything, everything outdoors mm. related. There's such a saturation. What draws someone to something can also be a detriment to them actually wanting to watch it. You know, you go, yeah. this, this is about this. Oh, I may not want to watch that. So yeah, it's yeah. man, I, I learn all the time. I, I just, yeah, it's, it's a hard um, sort of balance to make. But if you, if you're just making things cause you want to make things, um, just That's do fun it. That, too. Yeah. Like I, 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 I talked to Trevor a bit and um, you know, he does submerged psychos and uh, I gently asked, asked him for some, um, some hints with GoPro and stuff. And like he, he was just like shocked that I'd even ask him because he he you know yeah. he he doesn't really get he does into not the care. technical side at all. He, he and, just wants to he just wants to go out there and kill some fish and maybe film it and and yeah he's happy he, doing that. He likes communicating though and teaching yeah. and and some of his videos are so educational. But he there's no <laughs> finesse about finesse. some finesse of the stuff the, he does. Yeah. But that's part of the delight of it, you know. Like he's just hundred percent. That, that's that sort of personal yeah, thing, and, and that's that's one thing a, a lot of people say. Uh, I, I do get a lot of DMs from people on Instagram, particularly where they say, "Oh, can you give me you know look at my video and, and see what you think? Or can you give me some feedback on on my videos?" and and 
for me, I think the biggest thing that I did to get more people engaged was show personality, that I was actually a person behind the gun and the camera, not just the, the end result of the of you know seeing yeah. a gun gun shoot a fish um I'm not yeah. saying I, i'm i'm not claiming to be a pioneer and an expert because i've just poached all my ideas from a lot of filmmaking youtubers as well and and, and vloggers you know like casey neistat etc like that um and yeah I, I think that's just the the way things are going popularity wise that you if you want to engage with an audience like you say um with the infomercial versus a conversation have a conversation with someone on the screen um you know, you yeah. make people feel like they know you or something. That's probably one of the biggest things I would say for, for my style of um, videos that I've done that makes makes them somewhat uh, popular is to mm. to engage with people and give give them some value as well, not just entertain people, but give them something to um, help help them as well. Uh, otherwise, you're just sort of making noise, really. Well, I like the channel, man. I think you're doing a f- fantastic job. I was going to say you definitely need to start a Patreon, though. That would be my my call. <laughs> um, the, you know, a Patreon can also serve people. You know, you can have reward tiers. So maybe one of the tiers you have on your Patreon is like ten dollars a month or something. But it's like a Daniel Man Film School where you have like a Skype call with you know these guys that are ten dollar patrons once a month or once every couple of months yeah and you just go through their films you go through films together and you just go like maybe this could be better you know here's a tip for this and this something like that i think that that could be a way that you could serve that group of people that clearly want some help with their films yeah and um i mean guys might be curious after listening to today's podcast or watching today's episode um yeah you know how they can do that so that'd be my little suggestion to you buddy i'll take it on board Food for thought. It's just another thing, isn't it? You know, it's another thing to yeah. do. But um, um, I've just got that that thing that I do on Monday to Friday that sort of gets in the yeah. way of that. Um, <laughs> what's that? Oh, the job. The job. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Well, I know all about that. I've just started another one. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Which, actually, funnily enough, I've got to go and do shortly. Um, all right. So just wanted just wanted to wrap, just wanted to wrap up quickly. Um, any sort of like we've we've gone through settings today for GoPro. We've talked yep. in a roundabout way about filmmaking, the storytelling aspect. Yep. We got lost in the weeds with editing and tech yes, setups. We did. Um, practical sort of no nonsense tips for GoPro users, and we probably should have done this at the front end rather than the back um, end. But. Uh, use use the one button on mode or the rabbit mode on your GoPro. Never try and sort of turn it on and then press record because you'll lose your head up your own ass about what the beeps and all that sort of stuff means. There's a setting in there. Oh. I think it's it's called like rabbit mode. You just press it on. It goes beep 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 beep. It's recording. You press it again. It stops recording. That conserves your battery life. Um, I for the head straps. I, I saw that you mentioned this about head straps versus mask mounts. I don't particularly. I've never used a mask mount because I'm very particular about the mask that I use and I haven't um, found that that manufacturer makes makes a GoPro mask mount. So I'm not really interested in trying it because I think also going in caves and that sort of stuff, I think it could be quite a bit dangerous knocking your mask off at depth if you're sort of wrestling around or a fish knocks your GoPro as well. It's mm. just another thing to, if you get your mask flooded at depth, for yeah. me, it's just not something I'm, I'm keen on doing. I the remember... Heads- I remember reading a Facebook rant about it like several years ago and you were quite vocally against it. And um, But I learned a lot, as you do, through reading these Facebook rants. Um, oh, dear. Because you get, you get all the perspectives. And No, I don't think you got ego t- 
egotistical about it. Um, you were quite well behaved. You were probably in your mid-20s by then. Um, um, but, um, you know, like a lot of these debates end up that way. I've had a, several conversations lately about this, like just yeah. be, being a dick online. But, no, you weren't a dick. Um, <laughs> you had some good points. So I, 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 if, you, if you can communicate your point and, and why you think somewhere, great. If, you can, if someone can create a counter-argument why something else is great, Great. You don't have to yeah. agree with it, but you don't have to attack yeah. something. You go, I don't like, yeah. I, I don't think that's a good idea because of X, Y, Z. Brilliant. Yeah. I think this is a better idea because of ABC. Cool. Yep. As long as you say something, the reason why you don't like somebody's argument instead of just saying you're a dickhead and I, ha- I hate your, I hate your perspective. Well, why do you? Yeah. Ha- yeah. I, I know. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we digress We're- yet again. Um, but, but it's a good digression. But um, yeah. yeah, no. So okay. So that's cool. So that's your ten cents on on masks um, and the GoPro mount. Um, that's kind of the a guy asked me on my YouTube video actually about it, and I sort of said the same thing. Um, but yeah, yeah. I use the head strap, and I use it mm. over the top of the hood, contrary to your uh, recommendation. Why? Uh, well, in Europe, the water's quite cold, um, so having oh, seepage. Uh, seepage, uh, it's very uncomfortable having a plastic bit straight on your head. Um, if you've ever worn a nine and a half mil wetsuit, uh, you will know that it's not the most, um, it's comfortable, but it's, it, it's quite rigid. And so any, you know, you notice it chewing in the boat. If you're eating something that's chewy, you will notice that your jaw gets sore from having an, uh, a nine and a half mil wetsuit hood on, on you. So having that under there is just not really an option. Um, I lost a GoPro uh, once. I'd, I'd shot a 13.65 kilo Red Emperor and then lost the footage because um, it fell off my head later in the day. Bryson helped me yeah. with the Red Emperor. It assisted catch for all those sticklers at home. Um, if it wasn't on video, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, apparently, because I, I lost my GoPro. And then uh, I bought a new GoPro. A month, month later, I went to the Sunshine Coast off a pinnacle out there. And I've got footage of Tim filming me lose my GoPro off my head. Um, oh. I've got the screen grab of it falling off my head. Um, and he, oh. he got back to the boat and he said, oh, yeah, ever since you lost your last GoPro, I've been doing this thing where you get the head strap and you take it and you tuck your snorkel over the top of it on your head strap. So if it falls off, it just stays oh. attached to your mask and never comes off. I did, I did a video about this on, on YouTube like, oh, a, a couple of years clever. ago. Um, yeah, Tim, it's probably one of the... One of the only good bits of advice that bloke could give me. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> he's got a few good bits of advice. But, yeah, he, um, it just solved all the problems because you can stick it on yeah, your head real yeah, quick. Yeah. And, if, and if you want to get it off um, to film something in the boat, you're never going to undo the screw um, if you've got it under your hood and that sort of stuff. And it's, it's far yeah. more comfortable. Um, yeah, and I, I've touched wood. I have not lost a GoPro since using the tuck under the snorkel method. Unless you get your whole, you're in the wash and your whole mask comes off. And if your whole mask comes off in the wash, you're having a bad day anyway. Yeah, nah, cool. Okay, I'm going to try that. I was out the other day. I've just ordered a new wetsuit yesterday. I bought a new nine-pin suit from a guy down in Melbourne um, who, who gets them made down there. Cool, cool suits. But um, I've been out. I've got two. Like, I gave a full kit of equipment to my little brother in New Zealand, and when oh, I came nice. back and started diving again, I was using all my second stuff. And yep. uh, so, so I've got an old three-mil bottom and, and an old three mil top, which are both like 1.5 mil now, <laughs> but there's holes all through it as well. Yeah. I've been freezing and I normally never get cold. Eh? It's like yeah. 22 degrees or 20 degrees, I think, out, out, just out the front now. And um, so it's a little weather. bit cooler. Yeah, yeah, for you now. But um, I was cold and, uh, and yeah. the GoPro didn't help. So that's a cool tip. 
Um, um, do, do you do the do you do the thumbs up thumbs down thing at the end of uh, your GoPro takes? That, that that Tucker and Jesse Cripps suggested in mm. their podcast. See, I do mm-hmm. listen. I do listen and take all these you things do, on board. You do. Um, I don't, I don't do that. I, I tend not to rename my clips or anything like that because I find it easier to remember a day in sequential order about how things happen. So the GoPro, obviously, when you get bring into the editing suite, it'll list things by numerical order and your GoPro names your clips in numerical order. And I think if I spend an hour renaming my clips, that's an hour I could have got a first assemble of the rough story out by just going through those clips in a sequential order. So for me, it's sort of uh, doubling up on time. So I don't... Uh, I, I try to remember remember what I've done. I, I used to in the past like name things, but then I ended up, you know, you search your hard drive and I've got f- 10 different shots that say mackerel shot or, um, <laughs> or, or yeah, something else like that or parrot stone or, you know, tusky good or something. You know, you, you have all this stuff that sounds the same and you can't differentiate it. Um, yeah. Spiro gr- grunt talk. Yeah. All Tus- that sort tusky, of tusky good parrot yeah, t- stone. Yeah, Tusky Good. And then in the case of Tim's stuff, whenever you search his, it's really hard because uh, he's not one for caring about his spelling. So you'll get Spanish without the, the I in it. So you're searching yeah. for Spanish. 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 It's, uh, Spanish. It's Australian speak, mate. Spanish. Yeah, Australian. Uh, Australian. Yeah, Levi's famous for Crayoles. 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 I've been pulled Bloody up about Crayoles. I've been pulled up on Crayoles versus Lobsters on my... Uh, Recent videos, people tell me they're not lobsters, they're crays. And I googled it, and apparently crayfish pertains to freshwater, and lobsters pertains to saltwater. And interestingly enough, New South Wales Fisheries does not list crayfish anywhere on their saltwater bag limits. They're all rock lobsters. Fun, mm. fun, useless fact for cray holes. They're lobster well, holes. I, wouldn't it be great if we could get some consistency with like fish names and you know shit like that from one end of the world to the other because now that we all hang out with each other yeah. you know because of this global world we live in we, we we need some consistency with naming and stuff like spanish mackerel you know like it's called king mackerel and kingfish and and then kuta in south africa it's called a kuta yeah, it's uh, terrible you know like it'd be good if we could just agree on one and go right right guys let's rock this even though they might snapper. be snapper, snapper's the worst name in the world for oh, a fish. Yeah. Everything's a snapper. Uh, everything's oh, a bass exactly. as well. You know, red bass, striped bass, European bass, largemouth bass. Just ev- everything's called a bass. Everything's called a, a snapper. Yeah, Levi gets good with the technical names because he's got a degree in natural science. So he'll give me some, um, oh, it's Lujanus, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, yeah, right, man. So like a, a Lujanus Malabaracus, a Saddletail Sea Perch, Lujanus Sebe, a Red Emperor, Lujanus Johnny. Oh, look at you. Look at you. Um, Platycephalus Fuscus, a Dusky Flathead, etc. cetera. Um, so how did, how did you learn fish names? Uh, my old man used to do a lot of fishing on the reef and – uh, we just used to read Grant's guides to fishes. We go, oh, what did daddy shoot? What did daddy catch? And so we'd just pour over the the books, I guess, um, and go, oh, you caught. Oh, it looks like this. And you just, I guess, from a young age, sort of four or five years old or something, just started trying to Paying attention. Look, look, look in the old Grant's guide to fishes. And um, yeah, good book, eh? Yeah, that's an definitely. absolute cracker. Yeah, yeah. Levi's got our copy, I think. Uh, so I have to get that back off him because my uh, technique. Technical knowledge of, 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 you know, species names is absolutely woeful. I need to get all you did 
You did mention this recently uh, on one of your podcasts that you found it quite difficult to... Actually, it was the, the podcast with Trevor. You mentioned that coming from New Zealand, learning fish species in Australia isn't just something you know off... You, you just don't know those things. You have to learn those things. And I sort of thought about it the other day thinking, man, I think Australia of all places is one of the toughest places to learn fish species because here yeah, in the UK, yeah. here in the UK, I've got 10 fish that you'd shoot and there's a few things that look kind of similar... Mediterranean, Mediterranean, you've got four gropers, a couple different types of dentex, some seabrim, and that's about it. Not really, um, yeah, it's it's quite really difficult actually in Australia to to learn fish species. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like, um, you know, watching some of your vids back in the day, SDM, you know, like I used to live off that thing, the DVDs, and part of the thing I got out of it was just um, pattern recognition, you know, like, like yeah. when you see the GoPro footage of a fish, you, you actually really see looking at a fish in a book is a, is a poor substitute for seeing that fish in the water. Yeah, because definitely. The, the colors change or, or you lose all color. So you've got to learn to recognize not even just silhouette and the, the, the features that stick out, but the way the fish moves. You know, like coral trout, when you start seeing coral trout, you know coral trout, you know. Yeah. Um, unless you're quite far away, it's yeah, the only thing you might confuse them with is maybe a wong. Um, yeah. But, um, but the way their body moves, it's you know very distinctive. All fish are kind of the same, and you recognise yeah. the the way they move, and bang, your your eyes tuned into it. Maybe we should uh, do a uh, collaborative video for the noobers, as you call them, mm-hmm. on uh, basic species in a, in Australia or something. We could do a video and go, "This is what they look like underwater" or something like that. That could be. Uh, oh, now we're talking. That, yeah, that, could, that could actually be a, a very useful res- resource for for the, the audience um, because you're 100%. getting out now with your with your GoPros and go. This is what X Y Z looks like. Um, yeah. Could be could be quite or, helpful. Or we could we, we could make a joke video and I could say like, this is what a green jobfish looks like, and I'll hold up like a 1.5 kilo model and show my stalk, and then you could show, hold up like a nine kilo one. And, uh, and then you could, you know, say like, this is what a real one looks like or something like that. That'd be, oh, that'd be we, good. We don't, need to, we don't need to get a dick swinging contest about <laughs> that. But, uh, no, I don't mind. We could have fun with it. It'd be good. We could, yeah. I think that'd be, that'd be worthwhile, actually. Um, yeah, cool. Leave it at, do, do you get people that comment on podcasts? Is there a comment section on the podcast? Can they comment? Yeah, it'll be on. Uh, no, not really. Well, send, Shre- send Shrek an email if you want us to make that video and we'll do it. Yeah, Shrek at noobspiro.com or... Yep, yep, that'll do. And then I'll, I'll liaise up with you and we'll, we've got some videos to happen in the future, I'm sure. But all yep. good, Dan. I'm going to head off to work. And um, But absolute pleasure chatting with you and more to do in the future. Definitely. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys, hope you got a ton out of today's interview. If you've got a GoPro, I'm sure you did, um, from the settings to the editing to the thought process behind films. Daniel Mann's got a lot of information. Uh, You've probably got questions or you might have taken some notes down from today's show because it was quite technical at times. I would encourage you to head over to the Noob Spiro YouTube channel and get into the comments there. Daniel uh, is always super helpful, dude. He's got a huge following, yet he still answers all the comments and, you know, questions that come his way. So... Uh, yeah, please head over to the New Spirit YouTube channel, hop in there and jump in there, ask your questions away. Uh, that'd be awesome. And as usual, uh, this episode was powered by patrons just like you at patreon.com forward slash New They are helping us. Every single dollar that goes to Patreon is going to help fund trips to get out, do live interviews and come out and meet some of you guys in different parts of the world. 
um, do live interviews and, and go to um, shows and events and all sorts of stuff hopefully in the future so yeah hey big ups hey, next week or sorry in two weeks time a fortnight we are chatting with Alistair Cook he's a renowned Spiro from New South Wales the Central Coast a uh, really good guy had a really good time chatting with him so look forward to that I'll see you again in two weeks peace I hate it when a set of booties just blow out. You know, you're walking along a rocky ledge and they just give up on you one day, tear, or even worse, you, f- you fall over and your foot gets ripped through what was a small hole and is now an irreparable mess. It's time to head down to your local spearfishing retail shop. And here in Australia, that probably means Adreno. Now, spearfishing.com.au are a long, long-time sponsor and supporter of the Noob Spear podcast. So we would encourage you to head down to any of their stores. They are located in Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, and now Perth. And they've got a huge range of spearfishing gear. Head in and talk to a great bunch of people who know exactly what they're talking about and should be able to point you in the right direction. If it's something simple like a pair of booties, boom, two mil cressies. I love them. But I'm going to try out a whole lot more soon and... Uh, send up a post on nospiro.com but check it out spearfishing.com.au head into a local adreno store